And now it's time for News with My Son. And on the phone, the star of our show, Jefferson Smith. Jefferson, how are you? Hey, Pop, good morning. Happy February. Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Oh, you did it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> you, sh- you should probably explain to people what that's all about. Well, Miss O'Connell and my second grade teacher taught me. Uh, it may have been a fellow student that taught her and taught the class. I can't remember. But if you begin the month by saying rabbit, 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 you will have a month of good fortune. And I will say this is a month that I could certainly use, and I could imagine our friends and listeners could use some good luck and good fortune. So go ahead and say out loud, rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. And if you haven't said anything else, you will have good luck this month. Take it over, lad. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes first turn. Dad, do you have a shout-out? I have three shout-outs. First, I want to shout out for Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat senator from Rhode Island, who in 2012 began giving weekly speeches on the floor of the Senate, pleading, pleading with the Senate and Congress and the country to start addressing global warming. And Sheldon Whitehouse gave the last one of his weekly speeches, number 279, last week, because he sees that there is in the White House somebody who really intends to do something about global warming. So shout out to Senator Whitehouse. Second shout out to Brian Williams or whoever at MSNBC was responsible for for the delightful playing of a clip from Jerry Maguire where Tom Cruise gives undying love to Renee Zellweger where the clip was given as to what supposedly was happening between the minority leader and the House, Kevin McCarthy, and DDT when McCarthy went down to kiss the ex-president's ring or wherever else he might kiss. And it just was a absolutely marvelous, marvelous insert. And last, I want to shout out for Michael Weber and Leah Swanson and their whole team from the Public Health Department of Josephine County, who gets what I would call the award, the best making lemonade out of lemons award. They were on I-5 and a semi-truck jackknifed, shut down traffic. They had just completed some vaccine deliveries and they had six left, and the six were going to be running out of time. They're going to expire, and they realized that those six vaccines were going to go to waste. COVID vaccines go to waste, so they just started knocking on the windows of cars that were stuck, and found six people who were delighted to be able to get 
their vaccine, and they gave them the vaccine, got all the information, so they'll be able to get the number two. I think that's just an absolutely marvelous shout-outs to all of them. How's that? I hope it was comprehensive. <laughs> well, there was three of them. Well, that something of which there is 18 of, or in some respect, 50 of, is one of the pieces of fallout from the 2020 election. And we're going to be returning to it. I talked about it in the run-up, and it was one of the most important things that I was looking at in the election and why, for those of us who are hoping for a more historic landslide, which, under a different set of circumstances, I think we are in the position to see in, in this country, but there wasn't that degree of landslide. Now, many people paid attention to the fact that the U.S. Senate did not flip until Georgia flipped. And so that was, that was, it looked like the lack of a landslide meant that Joe Biden wasn't going to be able to get his agenda through and might not even be able to get his cabinet appointments approved. The victories in Georgia helped him do that. But the other, de- other fallout of there not being a pro-Biden landslide is that it is time to draw and redraw congressional maps. Republicans have a big advantage in many key battleground states. Especially Texas and Florida. In legislative races in favor of Democrats because there was not a historic landslide. Democrats have control over both chambers of the House and Congress, but it's up to state legislatures to redraw the congressional districts. Republicans have total control over redistricting in 18 states, and that includes the following three, Florida, North Carolina, and Texas. All three states have been growing. They're likely to gain seats after the 2020 census is complete. Oregon is also getting a new seat. Democrats control the lines here. Uh, Whether that seat will be held by a Republican or Democrat, of course, is going to be a big issue. We've talked about that. Uh, To me, the question is, is is it a do you try to go for a five, a five plus one, which ends up being a tenuous five plus one, or do you, or potentially could be a tenuous five plus one, or do you go for a, a, a locked-in four plus two, four Democratic seats and two Republican seats? Uh, it's hard for me to imagine the Democrats in the legislature going for a four plus two because that would mean they'd be handing a seat to Republicans in Oregon. But that could itself be an interesting decision. But of course gerrymandering, gerrymandering will be an enormous issue. Republicans just need six House seats to win back control. And in the new sense it's expected that blue states of California and New York will each be losing a seat. So Republicans have an advantage there. Democrats have been fighting uphill battle for House seats since the 2010 midterms. And that year, Republicans were heavily involved in the redrawing and the gerrymandering of the districts to their benefit. Since then, states like Arizona have adopted independent commissions to draw congressional maps. Michigan did the same thing. Uh, so, Dad, how do you how are you looking at the maps? It's probably just starting to dawn on America, this is going to be an enormous thing that happens in this coming year. How important do you think the new, those new maps are going to be? And do you think that this is this year, I guess this year and next, are going to be the only 
years that Joe Biden has a Democratic trifecta in Congress to be able to pass his agenda. It is hugely important. And one thing that I have learned by observing gurus who love to make predictions is that it's really dumb to make predictions because they are so often wrong. Uh, the uh, Lots of variables. The, the next... The next three weeks are going to be very influential, I think, in how next year is going to go, because I think the impeachment trial is liable to have quite a, quite an influence or p- potentially have quite an influence on public opinion, on, on public knowledge. There is a potential for millions and millions of people who have been getting all of their news, quote-unquote news, from Fox and Limbaugh and folks, their ilk, they're going to learn a whole lot that they just literally have never been told. So that's going to be seen. Before we dive into all the news, by the way, I want to acknowledge the passing of Cecily Tyson at 96. Wonderful, wonderful, powerful black American actress. Also acknowledge that Toys R Us closing its last two stores, gone forever. And then also want to acknowledge that 61 years ago today, the first Southern sit-in at lunch counters at a Montgomery Wars lunch counter launched the sit-ins that ultimately ended in the Civil Rights Act and banned forever segregation at places of public accommodation my compliments to those 61 years ago, four very courageous young men. So, your thoughts on any, any further thoughts on redistricting, Dad? Any thoughts? On well, the, uh, the the redistricting. If we could get every state, every state, to come up with a nonpartisan commission to draw lines for not just congressional districts, but also for state legislative districts, I think that would be a very good thing. But until that happens, we have to do everything we can to try to resist the fact that the, and this, this is a failure. I was, I, I'm a great fan of President Obama. I think he was did a, an amazing job considering the obstacles that he faced in Congress. But one of the great failings of his administration was the ignoring in 2009 and 2010, ignoring state legislative campaigns where, where under the, the leadership of Howard Dean, the Democratic National Committee had provided remarkable support to state parties. I was especially aware of that because my beloved spouse Meredith was vice chair and then chair of the party during that time. And Obama just let it go. And for that reason, the Republicans took control of most of the state legislatures in 2010 as well as, well as Congress. And 
For that reason, even though a very significant majority of Democrats vote for members of Congress as opposed to Republicans, there still were more Republicans in the House because of the successful gerrymandering by those legislatures. So I am hoping, I am hoping that Joe Biden and the new chair, the former state chair of South Carolina, does not make that same mistake. And I am encouraged by the fact that the new national chair is a former state chair who may have a good sensitivity towards that challenge. Historically, the party who is held in this one of probably the handful of political facts that lots of Americans, of course, know is that the political party of the uh, of the president typically loses congressional seats in the midterm election. That once you're at the top of the hill, it's sort of hard to defend the top of the hill. And if that is the case, of course, it doesn't take much. It'd be real hard. In fact, Democrats do, given how the districts are drawn. Democrats have to win by a significant margin in order to take the House. Uh, and the question is, and it's, it is a segue. I know you wanted to talk about impeachment, so we can, we can use that segue. Will there be, will the conduct of the Trump administration, will the reality of who the Republican Party has become, uh, will the damage that was done by the previous administration and the cleanup that is necessary have enough of a hangover that allows for, plus with you know demography, et cetera, that will allow for two straight significant uh, blue mild waves or almost waves, the kind of victories that are sufficient uh, for Democrats to hold on to or pick up seats in the House. And you did you raised an interesting point that at the time, I've thought of so many moments, uh, including the McCarthy hearings. You know, there was a, a term we covered it on the show when, uh, when the lawyer was defending the young, when the senior lawyer was defending the young lawyer, and he and he asked Joe McCarthy if he had no shame. And that moment was seen by a plurality of Americans, and it was seen across political parties, and it helped break the fever of the McCarthy era. There hasn't been something that has broken the fever of the, uh, of the Republican uh, voting apparatus during the Trump campaign. So many moments that would have uh, tanked a different president. Uh, so just over and over again, so much so that, I don't know if people remember, but back in 2017, there was this talking about, oh, I guess nothing matters. Well, of course things mattered, but they didn't matter. They didn't puncture. They did not penetrate uh, the red wall in that communications apparatus. Would you raise an interesting point that the hearing, particularly if Donald Trump is having a harder time having lawyers who will make his case and make it effectively, that maybe there is a chance for some common experience, some shared media experience among the American people that might at least give us some sound basis in fact i'm not going to hold my breath because he will still have counsel right i mean we just we know that he just lost his lawyers but five of them gonna take it somebody's got to take his case right 
Yeah, five of them bailed, apparently because he was insisting that they defend on the grounds that the election was rigged and that he really won. And, and I'm wondering if any one of those five had the courage to look him in the face and say, Mr. Trump, you need to understand that the election was not rigged, that there was no significant voter fraud, nothing that possibly could have changed the outcome in any state. And we cannot, in good conscience, make a defense on that grounds. I'm wondering if they had the courage to say that to him or just said, well, we were bailing. But then the next question is, he's found two more lawyers who have come on board. Are they going to make that case? And I have to confess, I really hope they do. I really hope that he says you have to do that. I really hope they do, because if they do, that can make it possible for the trial next week to center not just on DDT's behavior, but on the big lie. And they try to bring forth evidence to show it was rigged. The evidence is so easy to debunk, so easy to rebut, and the American population all going to be watching that trial, and there are a substantial portion of 74 million voters who then, if that happens, will learn for the first time that the big lie really is a big lie. And that not only could be significant in public opinion, it could also put huge pressure on Republican senators if the vote comes to be viewed not just a vote on whether or not Donald Trump should be impeached, but whether or not there was a fair election. And that could be a pretty tough vote. Yeah, you and I have a little bit different feelings about the impact of his lawyers making that case. My, uh, I worry that it and maybe just because I've learned skepticism or learned concern, uh, but that it will just reinforce the counterfactual, uh, the counterfactual circumstance we find ourselves or that so much the red wall finds itself. And, and I will just continue to reinforce that there are reasons why there, there's a rule 11 in, uh, in courtrooms. There's a reason why there are ethical requirements among lawyers is you want, jurors to be able to deal with real facts and not have uh, and not have frivolous claims made and this just to me sounds like a frivolous claim i didn't see who his two new lawyers were i don't know if you caught those names dad uh, but but I, I am i am wanting to know what the bar association in of their respective states might say in addition to their client getting a vigorous defense but about them promoting something that is so deeply counterfactual. That a two-thirds majority is required for Senate conviction, of course. Uh, Trump has until tomorrow to respond to the articles of impeachment. They will presumably do that feverishly, be working feverishly right now to get that response in. And if, if being a condition, you know, if it is a condition of 
representing him that you were willing to say the election was rigged, presumably, in the response to articles of impeachment, that's what's going to happen. Uh, right now, an overwhelming majority of Senate Republicans want to dismiss the trial altogether. Given that, Dad, it, it does not seem that there's a path. Maybe you think there is a path to impeachment uh, if the uh, if all the facts will out. Uh, I think I think 17 votes is a huge hill, probably unlikely to be climbed. But I really think it would be more likely to be climbed if tomorrow the defense that he lays down is that what he was doing was really trying to protect against a fraudulent election which uh, but for which he would still be president and therefore it was a great act of patriotism and as i think about what i would be doing if i were the prosecution if i were the house prosecutors in this case I would be starting the, the evidence before the election where DDT was saying that the only way he could possibly lose was if the election was rigged and, and show that drumbeat, how that drumbeat built and built among his supporters so they believed that before the election, after the election they believed it even more. He then use social media to urge his supporters to come to Washington on the 6th. I received email after email after email urging me to go to Washington and then to hold a, and the whole purpose of coming to Washington, he made clear, was to overturn the electoral college vote that was going to be reported. There wasn't any question that was the reason. So that that is definitely incited folks to plan, plan, and there is more and more evidence coming that there were units from around the company, the country communicating with each other and planning the break-in of the Capitol. And then the rally where his son and Gomert and Giuliani all say, we've got to go up there and get those guys. That's what they're saying. He then follows that, saying you have to be strong. He puts in a one-liner about peaceful, but he says you have to be strong. Anybody who believes that he thought the crowd was going to be successful if they simply walked around the Capitol and shouted and carried signs. Has to be a candidate for the bridge that I have for sale. He knew what he was doing, and then what I really hope is they have at least one person in the White House who observed him watching what was going on on television when he was refusing to take phone calls from... Republican congressional leaders pleading with him to put out a message where he delayed and delayed and delayed responding and doing anything on that. And then when his response was to say, you are wonderful, we love you, that there is a case to be made. And I understand that, that there will be believers out there who will never be changed, but, but I but I have to believe, and, and it's because of the thing that is necessary for 
a democratically elected republic to work. Ultimately, the sober sense of the people has to be based on the truth. And I hope this trial does a good job in putting out the truth because so many of those 74 million people have literally never heard it. Would you pursue, would, would, if, you were, uh, if you were Schumer, what would you do? Do you think it's worth doing? So it sounds pretty clear that you think it is worth uh, having impeachment trial, that uh, you, you think the, either there is a moral requirement or that the benefits outweigh the costs? Yes, I think it's, I think it's necessary. I, uh, I I suppose I suppose it is. I am not. I am sympathetic to those who want to turn the page. That giving uh, giving Trump this platform, putting the focus back on him, is. I, I am not quite as hopeful. I, I have hope, but I'm not. I sounds. I'm not quite as hopeful as you about its about its positive benefits. One thing I'll be watching for is if there are any moments of any revelatory moments uh, in the trial there were uh, one of the dynamics of the previous impeachment trial is that uh, most you know most of the fa- the damning facts had all been played out in the New York Times and on CNN and everybody had seen over and over again and so when the trial came out I was like oh I guess n- nothing's new there didn't need anything new there was tremendous amount of damning evidence, but it didn't seem like there was anything new. There was no Perry Mason revelatory moment. Uh, and here again, the key facts are well known that are damning Donald Trump. That any new facts will be weird stuff that his lawyers come up with. They, maybe, if, maybe if there's something new about uh, maybe there's something new about the Pentagon instructed police not to intervene. Uh, maybe something that demonstrates there was something closer to uh, you know, almost an active measures coup, uh, but uh, it would do something. But that's what I'll, you know, in terms of theater, I just worry that it won't be as great a theater. Meanwhile, it'll allow uh, it'll allow Donald Trump's, uh, you know, theater directors to have additional airtime. But I suppose well, I, it's going to happen. I really, I really do differ in that viewpoint because yeah. when you say oh, the news is out there. The news is out there and known by people who read the Washington Post or the New York Times or even the Portland Oregonian. But the news is not out there for people who watch Fox and who listen to Limbaugh and who pay attention to Breitbart. It really isn't. And the, the fact is that the information produced, if the trial is done right, and by the way, the last trial was not a trial. They did not, were not allowed to introduce evidence. But this time, if with the Senate under democratic control that's a good point they, as well they can introduce evidence and so unfiltered people are going to get the facts unfiltered they're not going to be relying upon fox or cnn or msnbc or wapo or the new york times they're going to hear it for themselves and i just have to hope that'll make a difference i'd like to talk about COVID if that's okay well, yeah, we know that the Republicans went in to ask for a smaller COVID recovery package. I think it was a one-third the size. They were able to get that in the newspaper. I don't imagine that Biden will, uh, Biden will respond to it very much. They offered $600 billion. The counteroffer Democrats 
trillion dollars. He uh, is, however, he has invited the 10 senators who have made that proposal to come on down to the White House today, and we're going to see what success he might have and, uh, in developing a compromise that he feels comfortable with. I, th- I think the, the argument that the relief should be targeted as much as possible makes sense, but once you say, yeah, okay, then you have to say, where should the targets be? And what the, those 10 senators who are saying the proposal needs only to be one-third as big as the original one, they've got to point to places in the 1.9 trillion proposal justify changing because they don't need to be targeted, and that will be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, much of what's going on is an effort to prevent Democrats from using budget reconciliation to avoid the filibuster. Uh, budget reconciliation is a move that would allow uh, Democrats to pass the bill without having to negotiate with Republicans because they'd only need a simple majority. Uh, Rob Portman, who's one of the Republicans who signed the letter, is uh, is uh, putting part of the sort of public campaign to try to avoid you know, 51 to 50 votes here, saying pursuing a tactic would, quote, set Biden down a path of partisanship that would poison the well. So basically trying to say, oh, you, Biden, you said unity, unity. If you're saying unity, you better take out $1.3 billion out of a relief package. Uh, if there truly were, if there truly were 10 moderate Republicans, uh, those 10 moderate Republicans could uh, help run the country. The 10 they've got, they've got Collins, Cassidy, and Portman. Uh, they've got Lisa Murkowski, Mitt Romney, Shelley Moore Caputo, uh, or Capito, excuse me, uh, Todd Young of Indiana, Jerry Moran of Kansas, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, Mike Rounds of South Dakota. Those are the 10. Uh, and 10, of course, is a magic number because if they, uh, if those 10, if there, if there were 10 Lisa Murkowskis, those ten who get together with Chuck Schumer and say, "Okay, let's," and, and Joe Biden and say, "Let's let's run the government," and, and you ten can pretty much have whatever you want. Uh, but the problem is, is there aren't ten genuinely, uh, genuinely moderate senators in the Republican conference in the uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, there is, I think, Lisa Murkowski deserves that acknowledgement. I think that she is one. I think that Mitt Romney and Susan Collins are what I would deem mainstream Republicans of 10 years ago. Not moderate Republicans, just mainstream Republicans of 10 years ago. But there aren't, I don't, I don't even know if there's a second truly moderate Republican. So that move, I think it's fool's gold. I worry there isn't. It's so tempting. It's so tempting to, to say, yes, let's get along. Let's not have a bunch of 51 to 50 votes. But, Dad, what would you do if you were in Biden's shoes? Well, I, if I were in Biden's seat, I would be saying to the Republicans, and I would be saying it as, just as, and I would be getting everybody else to say it. Unity will begin. Unity will become a legitimate thing to hope for the moment that all of you folks join each other, both individually and as a chorus, telling the American people that the lie about the election that Donald Trump has put forth and has been 
that the American people, so many of them have been allowed to believe, is a lie. We all got to tell you, folks, it was a fair election. We all got to tell you that the number of people who voted who should not have voted is minuscule that it was one of the, if not the safest, most secure election in the history of the United States. The lie is a lie. When they are willing to do that, then I will say, yeah, let's talk about unity. My, it was, of course, my quibble with Biden's truly excellent uh, speech on Inauguration Day. It's a truly, truly excellent speech. But I had a I had an important quibble, and that was I didn't love that his uh, his clarion call was a clarion call about which he did not have meaningful control. If you say if you announce to everybody, hey everybody, we will get along, then the other person can say, aha, I'm going to make this person a liar. It's, it's in my within my power to make that person a liar because only I get to decide if I'm going to get along with him. Uh, had he just said we're going to heal the country and uh, and we're going to do everything we can to heal the country and part of healing the country of course is trying to be civil where civility is possible uh, but not not promising unity which he could not uh, which he could not control he can control his conduct he can control his conduct in trying to act in a way that is healing but he can't control unity I still wish and, and I think he fell into the same I think it was the same trap that Obama fell into when he was uh, when he was running in his first uh, in, in his first term, which is not that their sentiments around unity are wrong. I am not I am not saying that they shouldn't be looking for opportunities for bipartisan leadership and for changing the tone in Washington D.C. and trying to have a kind of politics that is not merely bellicose. I strongly agree with those sentiments more strongly than many people of my of some of my political predilections uh, but it what we saw with obama and i think we are going to see also with biden is it's just it's just something you know that to some degree leadership is about making keeping promises and you can't you can make that promise but you can't keep it because it's not within your power to keep it anyway i'll i'll, I'll hop off my soapbox dad what other covid news covid kind of laundry some stuff one of the things that's becoming clear to me is that covid kind of goes to nests an example and a and a story a hospital a story oregon 27 staffers found with the virus the, there's good news. The good news is that apparently all five of the vaccines that have been developed are preventing deaths and serious illness. On the other stand, bad news is that deaths are still high. And Portugal, for example, doubled its total deaths just last month. The wild card is variants. Are the variants going to make it worse? Or make it better. There's uh, lots of lots of confusion in the delivery of vaccines. Vancouver, by the way, Vancouver, Washington, just across the river from us, is opening a drive-in site. Dodger Stadium, which has a drive-in site, about 50 anti-vaxxers shut down the site at Dodger Stadium for over an hour because of their opposition to vaccines so bad 
if you are going anywhere, take your mask because if you're getting on a bus or getting on a train or getting on a plane, you're going to have to have a mask. Just some individual stories. At least 31 Oregon businesses took the COVID relief money from the last stimulus, but which was supposedly going to go to businesses who were being hurt because they had closed. And those 31 businesses flouted the rules and continued to operate. I think we ought to go back and get the money back from them and make sure that they don't get anything from the next one. Portland Public Schools are talking seriously about reopening on the 8th. Have you, did you catch the story about what Miami Heat is doing about the COVID? I did not. Dog sniffers. There's a study by Africa called Gorman that dog sniffers are 94% successful at identifying people who have the virus. And so Miami Heat is going to start letting people in who pass the sniff test. The competition for vaccines producing some bad stuff. Uh, some very rich folks, Rodney and Katerina Baker, Canadians, took their private jet to an outpost in the Yukon Territory where they posed as motel workers so they could get the vaccine. A hospital has been criticized for giving its something like a hundred of its big donors the vaccine ahead of other people. The competition for the vaccine and the opposition to the vaccine, very interesting. And one of the things that's very troubling is the not just rich people and poor people, but rich countries and poor countries. Canada has contracted for five times more vaccines than their population whereas there are at least nine countries who at this moment have no vaccines. Boy, is there a need for international cooperation on that one. If you have any more on COVID, great. Otherwise, I also have some international stuff I'd like to talk about. Uh, yeah, the past few weeks, the United States have been the deadliest of the coronavirus pandemic. Transmission, transmission seems to be slowing in the United States. Number of new average cases, 40% lower than the U.S. peaked three weeks ago. That's good news. Hospitalizations are down from the record highs in early January. January was the deadliest month. The number of tests have also decreased. That could obscure the virus's toll, but the positivity rate has also gone down. Average daily death rate remains about 3,000. Uh, experts say the decrease could mark a turning point in the outbreak, but new and more contagious variants could threatened to upend that progress. Variants may have already driven new outbreaks in the UK, Brazil, and South Africa. Some experts have warned the U.S. may be seeing those new variants spreading significantly by March. So far, they don't seem to be undermining the genuine or general downward trend. Knock on wood. Uh, Dad, yeah, what do you got in international news? Are you tracking Myanmar? Oh, yes. Myanmar, which was touted as the great example several years ago when the military turned the government over to a fair elected, fair election, they decided they'd had enough, and so they announced that they're in charge. They have put the 
president and vice president under house arrest, and they say they're going to, they say for a year, for a year, right, if you believe that. Five, over 5,000 arrests in Russia of folks marching, protesting because of the Navalny arrest and the apparent intent of Putin to send him to jail for three and a half years for allegedly violating his the terms of your probation of a conviction for embezzlement some years ago that was almost certainly a completely phony election to begin with. The, and if they if the folks continue to go out, they're, they've already run out of room in their jails. It's going to be interesting to see that. Thousands of folks are leaving Hong Kong, and the UK has indicated that they will be welcomed there, but there are predictions that there are going to be hundreds of thousands of people leaving Hong Kong forever. Where they will go, we'll have to see. Of course, those folks are English-speaking, so the UK is a place for them to go, Australia is a place for them to go, and the United States might be a place for them to go where already they speak the language. When Tim Markroff comes on this morning, I hope you'll talk to him about that. Well, I, I will, and I want, I want to go back to Myanmar because it's a, a straight-up military coup. Uh, the military of Myanmar detained the country's civilian leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, along with her top lieutenants, in an early morning raid, the military has taken back the power that it had ceded to the civilian government just five years ago. The officials from the National League for Democracy, that's Aung San Suu Kyi's party, have confirmed those detentions. The military television network right after the raid announced a one-year state of emergency with ultimate authority being transferred over to the army chief, uh, Ming Ong Hlong, Mobile networks went down in major cities. Local journalists went into hiding for fear that they might have their safety compromised. Domestic flights were suspended. All of the steps in the military coup, it's not just enough to take over the Capitol building, not only enough to detain the enemy, you've also, to do it right, you got to control the media, control travel, etc. cetera. Uh, Myanmar had been acknowledged as one of the rare cases when post-military coup, when generals had willing willingly handed over power to civilians. In 2015, election results brought in a new era of civilian-based leadership. The leader of that party, that's the woman who just got detained, had spent years in jail for political opposition to the military, won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1991 for a nonviolent resistance to the junta that locked her up. Her reputation has been damaged by coming to the defense of military crackdown on Rohingyas and the Rohingya Muslim minority group. Yeah, that, that's called a genocide. That's particularly interesting to me because I had the impression that she was that she got back got into bed with the military. So I'm surprised at what's happened. Uh, the coup was an election. Uh, it was ruled an election result that showed a landslide of votes in favor of her party. They got 396 out of 476 seats in parliament. Uh, the military's proxy party just got 33 seats. So they got crushed the election, so they decided, well, we're not going to have, we're not going to put up with elections. We're going to use guns instead. Uh, they went and denounced military fraud, 
excuse me, announced election fraud and now have seized power. We might indeed talk to Tim about that. Other international news, actually, well, unless you have anything else on Myanmar, Dad. Well, it just it just reminds me of what a miracle, a miracle, the Constitution of the United States that says the president is the commander-in-chief of the military and that we have managed to maintain ultimate civilian control over the military for more than 200 years. It is, it is a, a remarkable thing. I, 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 I don't know if you ever saw the movie Viva Zapata, but in one of the most meaningful things in that was when Zapata is telling the elected president where power exists and he, and he says the power exists ultimately in the folks who have the guns. And that is true in so many places and it turns out to be true in Myanmar. So dad, one piece of news that LSD lets the brain free itself from divisions dictated by anatomy. There you go dad. <laughs> new new science about the where the, the where the mind meets the brain. Drugs like LSD have lots to teach us about how the brain operates. So, Dad, why don't you tell us about your lengthy LSD experience? <laughs> well, actually, I'm still waiting for my first one. But uh, this yeah. is a COVID story, and it's a, and it's a non-COVID. It, it goes beyond. It goes beyond COVID. This is what happened. Uh, here in Oregon at Legacy on was it Salmon Creek and also what happened at Dodger Stadium. Uh, the, LA, the LA Times story was not about Oregon, it was about Dodger Stadium, of course. Dodger Stadium's COVID-19 vaccination site was temporarily shut down after protesters gathered at the entrance. A similar thing happening at Salmon Creek. Dad, to me, this seems like a Russian plot. What's going on with these protests that are trying to shut down vaccination centers? Yeah, Somebody who doesn't believe in vaccines, okay, don't take one. But to try to prevent other people from taking one. And, and also, the, the fact that now millions of vaccines have been administered, and which is the test, if folks who have been lying and saying there wasn't adequate testing of the vaccines, really can't say that anymore because you, you've got a test that now has... 30 million folks who have taken the vaccine. Before we leave international, by the way, there's just something else I want to mention. General John Murray, who is in charge of the Pentagon's future command, has warned that the possibility of an attack from many, many drones, if they sent a thousand drones, that it would be overwhelming to any system that was that was governed by humans, which yeah, means that you're going to have to have artificial intelligence manning the decision to defend against that, and that is really scary. No, a swarm, a swarm of a thousand armed drones that are moving so fast, and it's sort of like you know a video game in God mode that is, that is designed so that you can't win. I mean, anybody who's played a video game knows that. Uh, well, maybe not anybody, but pretty much understands that the computer can beat the player if the computer decides wants to beat the player they ratchet down the computer's ability so the game stays fun now take take that video game turn it to real life and and 
put it in a mode where players are not supposed to be able, human players are not supposed to be able to compete, and it's scary. And go back to something Putin said a couple of years ago. He said the country that uh, masters artificial intelligence first is the country that's going to control the world. And if uh, and and that is one example of uh, one piece of evidence to bolster that conclusion. Of course, it also goes because artificial intelligence can do so much to manipulate social media manipulate people's minds uh it is you know there's a reason why people pay attention to this stuff it's it's scary stuff dad the guardian reporting the next kgb spy uh came out saying you know something that's been reported but not by an ex-kgb spy that russia cultivated trump as an asset for 40 years 40 years yeah yep going back to when he married uh his eastern european uh, first wife, uh, Ivana Zelnikova, uh, and when he went for the first time to Moscow, when he came back from that first trip to Moscow in 1987, and when he returned, he was, and he was fed a KGB talking points, uh, flattered by KGB operatives, told him that he ought to go into politics. Uh, they, he, it was described as a charm offensive on Donald Trump, that given his narcissism and ego they thought he might go for it and that he came back and in fact in fact published took out full page ads in major newspapers across the country promoting the uh, the russian uh view of american foreign policy started attacking american foreign policy specifically with respect to japan and elsewhere and i have brought that up before to me that that was that was a pretty obvious clue to me that that's when his uh, when his cultivation uh, by the KGB was a uh, had had some evidence was had its first uh, its first demonstration and now you got an ex KGB officer who comes out and says that's exactly what happened and to the and I have I have you know a dear friend I hope still a dear friend who got set off on on his pro Trump rantings. To hear him tell it in part because he thought that the the Russia hoax or what he said the way he calls it was was so offensive. Uh, I, again, there's we live in such uh, we live in such filter bubbles. I'm concerned that there even this information won't uh, won't impact the thinking of it. Again, I can't imagine any Trump supporter wanting to allow their brain to convince them that they supported a Russian asset for the presidency. But according to this ex-KGB agent, that's exactly what they did. And I continue to believe that it is more likely true than not the story in the infamous or famous dossier that said the Russians had a video of Trump in flagrante delicto and wondering, I'd like—I—I I, I really am inclined to believe that exists, and wonder if someday it might actually, actually be left out. Fifty years from now, we re- reach a new glassnose. We'll be able to find out. Yeah. Yeah. No. The the origins of the the fact that the Steele dossier was uh, was paid for by folks who had political objectives have meant that its uh, its contents were strongly. Uh, denied, strongly criticized by the by the right wing, uh, and nobody stood up for it. But uh, strongly, 
but there and therefore that was used to then say, ah, well, if it was in the in the steel dossier, it must not be accurate. But that's actually not what anything showed. All it said was, okay, there's a person who was trying to put together an opposition research file. That's what people do on candidates. Just because it's a it's a dirty thing, just because it's an unpleasant thing, just because the motives that people do it are bad, doesn't mean the contents of opposition research files are inaccurate. The purpose of putting together opposition research files is in fact for them to be accurate. They're only valuable to the extent they're accurate because that what you're hoping to do is then plant that information with credible news organizations who will run with it. That's the whole point of doing it. So it's, uh, but but there's been such a chorus uh, by the right wing to try to discredit that thing without discrediting its key fa- its key holdings, without discrediting its key facts. But yeah, I suppose we should move on. Dad, we've got to get to we've got to get to local news. The uh, the police oversight board might be phased out in 2022. Uh, OPB played this as a major story, uh, and I can see why. Right and there were from April September, officers used four six thousand times. The IPR received over four thousand calls about police misconduct. Of those, the IPR opened 118 investigations. Uh, the the uh, uh, our chief sort of accounted which, which is something like two percent. Auditor Mary Hull Caballero Caballero has proposed the budget would eliminate the IPR, but of course the plan and hope is that the new, more independent and having more teeth police review board will be in place by then. We've got we got to get the local news. One of the key local news stories that you're paying attention to. Well, that one, I, I have the impression that uh, our city auditor might be unduly close to the police department. Do you, is that impression unfair? I share it. I share that impression. My, my, my impression is that she was the candidate she was a candidate of the more conservative, uh, some of the more conservative factions in the city. Uh, that she has demonstrated that a couple, at a, a couple different times, including uh, her resistance to publicly financed elections uh, and and her vocal resistance to the uh, uh, to the independent review board body that Joanne Hardesty put forward. This this now will increase the uh, will increase. The timeline will need to need to hasten the timeline to put in the new system. Will also create presumably some budget pressures. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that's I think that's a decent speculation, Dad, about the auditor. Sixty-two percent of downtown Portland businesses say that they believe the downtown has become unsafe, which is a very very bad harbinger for. The city of Portland, which 40 years ago was leading the country in preserving the vigor and vibrancy of downtown, I understand that Forbes has had some something pretty tough to say about the city. Did you catch that? I did indeed, and, and others have now repeated it. Uh, they said that it, we were seeing the death of Portland, comparing us to Pompeii that there will in fact not be concern, there are concerns there will not be a return of downtown uh, after COVID plus protests plus everybody shopping at Amazon uh, have led to a you know, bunch of major stores leaving 
and activity uh, declining downtown. Uh, I do think it is an important question. And, and, and what happens with downtown, what we do with downtown, I really do think is a, a hugely important question for the city. Uh, and, but I am, but the reason I disagree with Forbes is that ultimately what makes cities great are not its geography, but ultimately its people. And we got the best folks. And Portland just has a, a larger share of smart, compassionate, creative, community-oriented uh, people than most cities. And, and, and so, I, so I continue to bet on Portland. I do think that there is, whether we, whether we can bet on Portland's uh, oligopoly of landowners, right? one of the things that's, that was dawning on me last night as I was going to the Pixomatic at Pix Patisserie, where you basically a set of fancy vending machines where you can get some of the best desserts in Portland. I was doing that for my wife's uh, birthday, which was yesterday. And as I was realizing that much of the Portland creativity benefits the major landowners in Portland, of whom there are too few, that we have, that's the, the undertold story. There's so much focus on and time, time will tell. Time will tell, and we'll talk more about this on Thursday. But Sam is telling me that it's time to wrap. So, since... So, Dad, you're going to wrap for us? What, what, I, what, she, you, you can wrap for us, or I can wrap for us, but whoever, somebody's got to wrap for us. No, no, I was, I was thinking you were going to, you were going to deliver rides uh, on top of the beat. But if you mean wrap our program, you go ahead, Pop. It was wonderful talking to you this morning. Can I do my straws? Fire away. Straws in the wind. Like a straw. First straw. Norway has decided to dump all of its investments, state national investments in fossil fuels, not because they disbelieve in fossil fuels necessarily, but because they're losing money on them. And General Motors, GMC, has said that by 2035, the only vehicles they'll be producing will run on electricity. That's a major straw in the wind. What I, and Norway has said they've made their last fossil fuel investment. Norway is a fossil fuel country. That's a big deal. And, Dad, when we come back, when we get back on Thursday, we've got to talk more, a lot more about some of the local dynamics. But I also... Want to talk about Facebook versus Netflix and the uh, Facebook sue? Excuse me, Facebook versus Apple. Facebook suing Apple because Apple is having now a device which allows you to turn off the data collection uh, that is on the phone. And now there's going to be an antitrust lawsuit. I'm fascinated by it. But we did it one more time, Pop. We did indeed. And we'll be back on Thursday. Love you, lad.